Act One of The Chenchi by Percy Bysshe Shelley. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dramatis Personae. Stage Directions. Read by Jake Melitzia. Count Francesco Chenchi. Read by Greg Giordano. Giacomo, son of Cenci. Read by Adrian Stevens. Bernardo, son of Cenci. Read by Rick Cordray. Cardinal Camillo. Read by Alan Mapstone. Orsino, a prelate. Read by Todd. Savella, the Pope's legger. Read by Rob Marland. Olympio, Assassin. Read by Andrew Gantz. Marzio, Assassin. Read by Larry Wilson. Andrea, Servant Cenci. Read by Jake Malizia. Lucrezia, Wife of Cenci and Stepmother of His Children. Read by Sonia. Beatrice. Daughter of Chenchi, read by Jen Broda. Servant, read by David Purdy. First guest, read by Lynette Calkins. Second guest, read by Larry Wilson. Third guest, read by David Purdy. Guard, read by David Purdy. Officer, read by Alan Mapstone. First Judge, read by Saneric Morangton. Second Judge, read by David Purdy. Colonna, read by Lynette Calkins. The scene lies principally in Rome, but changes during the fourth act to Petrella, a castle among the Apulian Apennines. Time during the pontificate of Clement the Eighth, Act One, Scene One, an apartment in the Cenci Palace. Enter Count Cenci and Cardinal Camillo. That matter of the murder is hushed up. If you consent to yield His Holiness your fief that lies beyond the Pincian Gate. It needed all my interest in the conclave to bend him to this point. He said that you bought perilous impunity with your gold, that crimes like yours, if once or twice compounded, enrich the church, and respited from hell an erring soul which might repent and live but that the glory and the interest of the high throne he fills little consist with making it a daily mark of guilt as manifold and hideous as the deeds which you scarce hide from men's revolted eyes the third of my possessions let it go i i once heard the nephew of the pope had sent his architect to view the ground meaning to build a villa on my vines. The next time I compounded with his uncle, I little thought he should outwit me so. Henceforth, 
no witness, not the lamp, shall see that which the vassal threatened to divulge, whose throat is choked with dust for his reward. The deed he saw could not have rated higher than his most worthless life. It angers me, respited me from hell, so may the devil respite their souls from heaven. No doubt Pope Clement and his most charitable nephews pray that the Apostle Peter and the saints will grant for their sake that I long enjoy strength, wealth, and pride, and lust and length of days, wherein to act the deeds which are the stewards of their revenue. But much yet remains to which they show no title. Oh, Count Shenchi, so much that thou mightst honourably live and reconcile thyself with thine own heart and with thy God and with the offended world. How hideously look deeds of lust and blood through those snow-white and venerable hairs! Your children should be sitting round you now, but that you fear to read upon their looks the shame and misery you have written there. Where is your wife? Where is your gentle daughter? Methinks her sweet looks, which make all things else beauteous and glad, might kill the fiend within you. Why is she barred from all society but her own strange and uncomplaining wrongs? Talk with me, Count. You know I mean you well. I stood beside your dark and fiery youth, watching its bold and bad career as men watch meteors. But it vanished not. I marked your desperate and remorseless manhood. Now do I behold you in dishonourable age, charged with a thousand unrepented crimes. Yet I have ever hoped that you would amend, and in that hope have saved your life three times. For which Aldo Brandino owes you now, my fief beyond the Pincian Cardinal. One thing I pray you, Recollect henceforth, and so we shall converse with less restraint. A man you knew spoke of my wife and daughter. He was accustomed to frequent my house, so the next day his wife and daughter came, and asked if I had seen him, and I smiled. I think they never saw him any more. Thou execrable man, beware! Of thee? Nay, this is idle. We should know each other. As to my character, for what men call crime, seeing I please my senses as I list, and vindicate that right with force or guile. It is a public matter, and I care not if I discuss it with you. I may speak alike to you in my own conscious heart for you give out that you have half reformed me. Therefore strong vanity will keep you silent, if fear should not. Both will, I do not doubt, 
All men delight in sensual luxury. All men enjoy revenge, and most exalt over the tortures they can never feel, flattering their secret peace with others' pain. But I delight in nothing else. I love the sight of agony and the sense of joy. When this shall be another's, and that mine, and I have no remorse and little fear, which are, I think, the checks of other men. This mood has grown upon me until now. Any design my captious fancy makes, the picture of its wish, and it forms none but such as men like you would start to know, is as my natural food and rest debarred until it be accomplished. Art thou not most miserable? Why miserable? No, I am what your theologians call hardened, which they must be in impudence. So to revile a man's peculiar taste. True, I was happier than I am, while yet manhood remained to act the thing I thought, while lust was sweeter than revenge. And now invention palls. I... We must all grow old. And by that there yet remains a deed to act, whose horror might make sharp an appetite duller than mine. I do. I know not what. When I was young, I thought of nothing else but pleasure, and fed on honey sweets. Men, by St. Thomas, I cannot live like bees, and I grew tired. Yet... Till I killed a foe, and heard his groans, and heard his children's groans. I knew not what delight was else on earth, which now delights me little. I, the rather look on such pangs as terror ill conceals. The dry fixed eyeball, the pale quivering lip, which tell me that the spirit weeps within. Tears bitterer than the bloody sweat of Christ. I rarely kill the body, which preserves, like a strong prison, the soul within my power, wherein I feed it with the breath of fear for hourly pain. Hell's most abandoned fiend did never in the drunkenness of guilt speak to his heart as now you speak to me. I thank my God that I believe you not. Enter Andrea. My lord, a gentleman from Salamanca would speak with you. Bid him attend me in the grand saloon. Exit Andrea. Farewell, and I will pray, almighty God, that thy false impious words tempt not his spirit to abandon thee. Exit Camillo. The third of my possessions. I must use close husbandry, or gold, the old man's sword falls from my withered hand. But yesterday there came an order from the Pope to make fourfold provision for my cursed sons, whom I had sent from Rome 
to Salamanca, hoping some accident might cut them off, and meaning, if I could to starve them there, I pray thee, God, send some quick death upon them. Bernardo and my wife could not be worse, if dead and damned, then as to Beatrice. Looking around him suspiciously, I think they cannot hear me at that door. What if they should? And yet I need not speak, though the heart triumphs with itself in words. Oh, thou most silent air, that shalt not hear what now I think, thou pavement which I tread towards her chamber. Let your echoes talk of my imperious step scorning surprise, but not of my intent. Andrea! Enter Andrea. My lord? Bid Beatrice attend me in her chamber. This evening, no, at midnight, and alone. Exeunt. Scene 2. A garden of the Cenci Palace. Enter Beatrice and Orsino, as in conversation. Pervert not truth, Orsino. You remember where we held that conversation. Nay, we see the spot even from the cypress. Two long years are passed since, on an April midnight, underneath the moonlit ruins of Mount Palatine, I did confess to you my secret mind. You said you loved me, then. You are a priest. Speak to me not of love. I may obtain the dispensation of the Pope to marry. Because I am a priest, do you believe your image, as the hunter some struck deer, follows me not whether I wake or sleep? As I have said, speak to me not of love. Had you a dispensation I have not? Nor will I leave this home of misery whilst my poor Bernard, and that gentle lady to whom I owe life, and these virtuous thoughts must suffer what I still have strength to share. Alas, Orsino, all the love that once I felt for you is turned to bitter pain. Ours was a youth contract, which you first broke by assuming vows no pope will loose. And thus I love you still, but holily even as a sister or a spirit might, and so I swear a cold fidelity. And it is well perhaps we shall not marry. You have a sly, equivocating vein that suits me not. Ah, oh, wretched that I am, where shall I turn? Even now you look on me as you were not my friend, as if you discovered that I thought so, with false smiles making my true suspicion seem your wrong. Ah, oh, no, forgive me, Sorrow makes me seem sterner than else my nature might have been. I have a weight of melancholy thoughts, and they forebode. But what can they forebode, worse than I now endure? All will be well. Is the petition yet prepared? You know my zeal for all you wish, sweet Beatrice. And doubt not, but I will use my utmost skill so that the Pope attend to your complaint. Your zeal for all I wish. Ah, me, you are cold. Your utmost skill. Speak but one word. Aside. Alas, weak and deserted creature that I am, 
Here I stand bickering with my only friend. To Orsino. This night my father gives a sumptuous feast, Orsino. He has heard some happy news from Salamanca, from my brothers there. And with this outward show of love he mocks his inward hate. Tis bold hypocrisy, for he would gladlier celebrate their deaths, which I have heard him pray for on his knees. Great God, that such a father should be mine. But there is a mighty preparation made, and all our kin, the Chenchi, will be there, and all the chief nobility of Rome, and he has bidden me and my pale mother attire ourselves in festival array. Poor lady, she expects some happy change in his dark spirit from this act. I, none. At supper I will give you the petition. Till when, farewell. Farewell. Exit Beatrice. I know the Pope will ne'er absolve me from my priestly vow, but by absolving me from the revenue of many a wealthy sea. And Beatrice, I think to win thee at an easier rate. Nor shall he read her eloquent petition. He might bestow her on some poor relation of his sixth cousin, as he did her sister, and I should be debarred from all access. Then, as to what she suffers from her father, in all this there is much exaggeration. Old men are testy and will have their way. A man may stab his enemy or his vassal, and live a free life as to wine or women, and with a peevish temper may return to a dull home and rate his wife and children. Daughters and wives call this foul tyranny. I shall be well content if on my conscience there rests no heavier sin than what they suffer from the devices of my love a net from which he shall escape not. Yet I fear her subtle mind, her awe-inspiring gaze, whose beams anatomize me, nerve by nerve, and lay me bare, and make me blush to see my hidden thoughts. Ah, no, a friendless girl who clings to me as to her only hope? I were a fool." no less than if a panther were panic-stricken by the antelope's eye, if she escaped me. Exit Scene 3 A magnificent hall in the Chenchi Palace A banquet Enter Chenchi, Lucretia, Beatrice, Orsino, Camillo, Nobles Welcome, my friends and kinsmen, Welcome ye, princes and cardinals, pillars of the church, whose presence honors our festivity. I have too long lived like an anchorite, and in my absence from your merry meetings, an evil word is gone abroad of me. But I do hope that you, my noble friends, when you have shared the entertainment here, and heard the pious cause for which tis given, and we have pledged a health or two together, will think me flesh and blood as well as you. Sinful indeed, for Adam made all so, but tender-hearted, meek, and pitiful. In truth, my lord, you seem too light of heart, 
too sprightly and companionable a man, to act the deeds that rumor pins on you. To his companion. I never saw such blithe and open cheer in any eye. Some most desired event, in which we all demand a common joy, has brought us hither. Let us hear it, Count. It is indeed a most desired event, if when a parent from a parent's heart lifts from this earth to the great father of all a prayer, both when he lays him down to sleep, and when he rises up from dreaming it, one supplication one desire, one hope, that he would grant a wish for his two sons, even all that he demands in their regard, and suddenly beyond his dearest hope it is accomplished. He should then rejoice, and call his friends and kinsmen to a feast, and task their love to grace his merriment. Then honor me thus far, for I am he. Beatrice, to Lucretia. Great God, how horrible! Some dreadful ill must have befallen my brothers. Fear not, child. He speaks too frankly. Ah, my blood runs cold. I fear that wicked laughter round his eye, which wrinkles up the skin even to the hair. Here are the letters brought from Salamanca. Beatrice. Read them to your mother. God, I thank thee. In one night didst thou perform, by ways inscrutable, the thing I sought, my disobedient and rebellious sons, are dead. Why dead? What means this change of cheer? You hear me not? I tell you, they are dead, and they will need no food or raiment more. The tapers that did light them the dark way are their last cost. The Pope, I think, will not expect I should maintain them in their coffins. Rejoice with me, my heart is wondrous glad. Lucretia sinks, half fainting. Beatrice supports her. It is not true. Dear lady, pray look up. Had it been true, there is a God in heaven. He would not live to boast of such a boon. Unnatural man, thou knowest that it is false. I, as the word of God, whom here I call, to witness that I speak the sober truth, and whose most favoring providence was shown, even in the manner of their deaths. For Rocco was kneeling at the mass, with sixteen others, when the church fell, and crushed him to a mummy. The rest escaped unhurt. Cristofano was stabbed in error by a jealous man, whilst she he loved was sleeping with his rival, all in the selfsame hour of the same night, which shews that heaven has special care of me. I beg those friends who love me that they mark the day of feast upon their calendars. It was the 27th of December. I read the letters if you doubt my oath. The assembly appears confused, 
Several of the guests rise. Oh, horrible! I will depart. And I. No, stay. I do believe it is some jest, though, faith, tis mocking us somewhat too solemnly. I think his son has married the Infanta, or found a mine of gold in El Dorado. Tis but to season some such news. Stay, stay. I see tis only raillery by his smile. Chenchi, filling a bowl of wine and lifting it up. O oh, thou bright wine whose purple splendor leaps and bubbles gaily in this golden bowl, under the lamplight as my spirits do, to hear the death of my accursed sons. Could I believe thou wert their mingled blood, then would I taste thee like a sacrament, and pledge with thee the mighty devil in hell? Who, if a father's curses, as men say, climb with swift wings after their children's souls, and drag them from the very throne of heaven, now triumphs in my triumph. But thou art superfluous. I have drunken deep of joy, and I will taste no other wine to-night. Here, Andrea, bear the bowl around. A guest rising. Thou wretch, will none among this noble company check the abandoned villain? For God's sake, let me dismiss the guests. You are insane. Some ill will come of this. Seize, silence him. I will. And I. Chenchi, addressing those who rise with a threatening gesture. Who moves? Who speaks? Turning to the company. Tis nothing. Enjoy yourselves. Beware, for my revenge is as the sealed commission of a king that kills and none dare name the murderer. The banquet is broken up. Several of the guests are departing. I do entreat you. Go not, noble guests. What, although tyranny and impious hate stand sheltered by a father's hoary hair? What, if tis he who clothed us in these limbs, who tortures them and triumphs? What, if we, the desolate and the dead, were his own flesh, his children and his wife, whom he is bound to love and shelter? Shall we therefore find no refuge in this merciless wide world? Oh, think what deep wrongs must have blotted out, first love, then reverence in a child's prone mind, till it thus vanquish shame and fear. Oh, think, I have borne much, and kissed the sacred hand which crushed us to the earth, and thought its stroke was perhaps some paternal chastisement. Have excused much, doubted, and when no doubt remained, have sought by patience, love and tears, to soften him. And when this could not be, I have knelt down through the long sleepless nights and lifted up to God, the Father of all, passionate prayers. And when these were not heard, I have still borne, until I meet you here, princes and kinsmen, at this hideous feast given at my brother's deaths. Two yet remain. His wife remains, and I, 
whom if ye save not, ye may soon share such merriment again as fathers make over their children's graves. O Prince Colonna, thou art our near kinsman. Cardinal, thou art the Pope's chamberlain. Camillo, thou art chief judiciary. Take us away. Chenchi, he has been conversing with Camillo during the first part of Beatrice's speech. He hears the conclusion, and now advances. I hope my good friends here will think of their own daughters, or perhaps of their own throats, before they lend an ear to this wild girl. Beatrice, not noticing the words of Chenchi. Dare no one look on me? None answer? Can one tyrant overbear the sense of many best and wisest men? Or is it that I sue not in some form of scrupulous law that ye deny my suit? O oh God, that I were buried with my brothers, and that the flowers of this departed spring were fading on my grave, and that my father were celebrating now one feast for all. A bitter wish for one so young and gentle. Can we do nothing? Nothing that I see. Count Chenchi were a dangerous enemy. Yet I would second any one. And I. Retire to your chamber, insolent girl. Retire thou, impious man. I hide thyself where never I can look upon thee more. Wouldst thou have honor and obedience who art a torturer? Father, never dream, though thou mayest overbear this company, but ill must come of ill. Frown not on me. Haste, hide thyself, lest with avenging looks my brother's ghost should hunt thee from thy seat. Cover thy face from every living eye, and start if thou but hear a human step. Seek out some dark and silent corner. There, bow thy white head before offended God and we will kneel around and fervently pray that he pity both ourselves and thee. My friends, I do lament this insane girl has spoilt the mirth of our festivity. Good night. Farewell. I will not make you longer spectators of our dull domestic quarrels. Another time. Exeunt all but Chenchi and Beatrice. My brain is swimming round. Give me a bowl of wine. To Beatrice. Thou painted viper, beast that thou art, fair and yet terrible, I know a charm shall make thee meek and tame. Now get thee from my sight. Exit Beatrice. Here, Andrea. Fill up this goblet with Greek wine. I said I would not drink this evening, but I must, for strange to say, I feel my spirits fail with thinking what I have decreed to do. Drinking the wine. Be thou the resolution of quick youth within my veins, and manhood's purpose stern, and age's firm, cold, subtle villainy. As if thou wert indeed my children's blood, which I did thirst to drink. The charm works well. It must be done. 
It shall be done, I swear. Exit. End of the first act.